uh, they've moved to Oklahoma City, but uh, he's come home and uh, he went to the doctor and had a physical, and he's going to have to have uh, some stents inserted in his heart on December the 22nd. So if you would, let's do be in prayer for our missionary, Wayne Wally. Uh, he's one of our best missionaries, and so let's, let's do keep him in our prayers. Amen. Um, all right. Uh, we're going to be looking at Moses' father-in-law today. Moses' father-in-law. You think, well, what could you learn about Moses' father-in-law? Well, we'll find out. Amen? And uh, Exodus chapter 18 is where we're going to be. Exodus chapter 18. This, for me, is actually a, it's kind of a... I, li- I like studying about Moses' father-in-law just because uh, you really got to dig, surprisingly. There's quite a bit about him. But you got to dig for it, and we'll see why here in just a moment. But in Exodus chapter 18, from verses 1 to uh, 32, is, is the account, if you will, of uh, they're getting ready to transition from you know Israel, and here in just a couple chapters, Egypt, excuse me, and uh, they're getting ready to get uh, the law and everything like that. And so they're kind of in a transition here. And uh, the transition phase is a sense that they're learning how to do things, you know, new, fresh, if you will. And so they haven't uh, uh, been this way before, and so a lot of these things are new, and it's certainly new to Moses, okay? And so the Bible says, when Jethro, the priest of Midian, uh, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and that the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt, then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, uh, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back, and her two sons, of which the name of the one was Gershom. For he said, I have been an alien in a strange land. And the name of the other was Eleazar, uh, for, God, uh, for the God of my father saith he was mine help. Okay, and by the way, uh, that's what their names mean. Okay, that's, if you will, that's what both their names mean. And... Uh, the Bible says, and, and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. And Jethro, uh, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife unto Moses in the wilderness, uh, where he encamped at the mountain of God. And he said unto Moses, I, thy father-in-law, Jethro, am come unto thee, and thy wife and her two sons with thee. The Bible says next, and just uh, we're, for sake of time, uh, we'll read this as we get to it. But in verse 7 it says, And Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, and did obeisance, and kissed him, and they asked each other of their welfare, and they came into the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and unto the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and all the travail that had come uh, upon them by the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. Uh, And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who hath uh, delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh, and hath delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods, for in the thing wherein they dealt proudly, he was above them. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took a burnt offering and sacrifices for God. And Aaron came and all the elders of Israel to eat bread uh, with Moses' father-in-law before God. Now, after this, he takes and he observes all that Moses is doing. He says, Moses, you're taking too much to yourself. It's too much, too much of a burden. 
and he gives him some advice. And so they have a very good relationship, but we'll, we'll take and we'll dig into this now. Father, we do love you. We thank you for the privilege to open your word. We thank you for the health that we do enjoy, opportunity to be here. Father, do be with those who cannot be with us today. Father, just pray for those who are, are sick, that you've healed them. Father, that you'd raise them up, bring them back again into our fellowship. And Father, we just uh, pray for our nation. Father, we pray for the week ahead that it would be a blessing for us and for our families and help us to lift up our Savior during the, the whole time. And Father, we just pray that you would bless the events of the day. We love you and we thank you now in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, Moses' father-in-law, the reason he's such an interesting study is he goes by many names, all right? So get your Bible here. We'll do a little bit of a Bible drill here. And uh, he has a number of names here. He's called Jethro, and he's called that in Exodus 3, 1, 4, 18, uh, and then here in uh, chapter 18. Uh, uh, go out, since we're in chapter 18, go all the way down to the last verse. Go to verse 27. And the Bible says, and Moses let his father-in-law depart here, okay? So it says very clearly that, that uh, Jethro is his father-in-law, okay? But in other places, it's, he has a different name. By the way, Jethro means his excellence, okay? So uh, if you think about it, Pharaoh was a title, okay? Pharaoh wasn't the name of the king of Egypt. It was the title of the king of Egypt, okay, Pharaoh. And... Um, and so his name being his excellence, I believe this is his title, okay? Remember the Bible says he was a priest of Midian, okay? And so as a priest of Midian, his, his, he was kind of the head of, of that tribe or that nation. He was, if you will, their intercessor between them and their God, all right? I don't believe that he was a worshiper of God at the time, but I do believe he became a worshiper of God, okay? And so you notice he offered sacrifice and it was accepted. And Moses, if you notice... He offered the sacrifice, and Moses and Aaron joined him. Uh, why is that significant? Well, you remember the Bible says that, um, I'm going to forget his name here. Um, the priest that met Abraham. I just forgot his name. Melchizedek, thank you, okay. <laughs> King of righteousness, Okay. His name means king of righteousness, but you remember he said he was a greater man than Abraham. Why? Because Abraham offered tithes and offerings to him. Okay? So you think about this. This was a great man. This, this was a great man. He was able to offer sacrifice for Moses and Aaron. Okay? And so he, he, was, he was a great man. Now, when and where he became a believer, I'm not sure. But uh, 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 if you will, his name Jethro means his excellence. But he had another name. Go to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. And look at uh, verse 18. Exodus chapter 2 and verse 18. And the Bible says this. It says, And when uh, they came to Ruel, their father, this is Zippor's father here, okay. It says, they said, How is it that you are come so soon today? And then you know the story. An Egyptian has delivered us. Uh, where is he? Bring him here. And, and, and then, of course, the Bible says in verse 21, just for sake of time, the Bible says that Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses Zipporah his daughter. And so you can put two and two together. Here's his father-in-law, and his name is Ruel. And Ruel means friend of God. Okay? Ruel means friend of God. And so, again, when and where he became a, a believer, I'm not sure. Um, but uh, he certainly does seem to be a friend of God, a believer in God, okay? 
He also had another name that is kind of a derivation of, um, of Ruel, but it is a different name. So let me give it to you here. Go to Numbers chapter 10. And Numbers chapter 10 will actually be important a number of times here. But Numbers chapter 10 and verse 29. Okay. The Bible says this. It says, uh, it says, And Moses said unto Hobab, the son of Raguel, the Midianite, Moses' father-in-law. Okay? And so if you will, uh, Raguel... All right, which is just another form or another spelling of Ruel. Okay, it means friend of God. All right, but if you'll notice, it says that Hobab, the son of Raguel. All right, that'll be important here in a minute. All right, he's not really even his son; he's his grandson. Okay, and so you got to follow these relationships carefully. But let me ask you this, and this will help us understand. When you called somebody, somebody's son, you were in a sense saying that they were the same person. Okay? Sounds weird to say that. It's not our way of thinking, but it was their way of thinking. Okay? You remember when Jesus said that he was the son of God, what was their response? They wanted to kill him. Yeah, that's blasphemy. You make yourself, what? Equal with God. Okay? And so by him claiming to be the son of God, he was claiming to be equal with God. And so Hobab later becomes the head of the tribe of, the, we'll show you here in a second, they have a different name, but this Midianite tribe. And, um, and it be, he becomes known as the father-in-law of Moses, Hobab. All right? Now having said that, he's not Hobab's father-in-law. All right? But he is the son or the grandson of uh, of Ruel, and so they still had that type of relationship. Sounds sounds weird, okay? But that's why it's so hard to figure out who the father-in-law of Moses is, because he's known as Ruel and Raguel and Jethro and Hobab in another place, and I'll show you that here later. But he's also known as the Kenite. All right, so go to Judges chapter one and look at verse sixteen. Okay, and this of course wouldn't be his. Uh, his title or his name, this would be his lineage, this would be his tribe, this would be his uh, nationality in a sense, okay? And so in, um, uh, where did I tell you to go? Judges chapter 1, verse 16. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says, in the children of the Kenite, Moses' father-in-law, okay? And so he was known as the Kenite, right? He was a Midianite, he was a Kenite. And if you're familiar, it would be the same relationship as an Israelite and then a Jew or a Judite, okay? Okay, and so that's kind of exactly what's going on here. He said he was a Midianite, he was a Kenite, then you would have, if you will, the family of Ruel, if you will, and then Hobab and, and, and all that. And so my whole point is this, is he, he literally goes by four names or four titles. And so that's kind of why it makes it difficult to take and to dig up all this information, but the digging is rather easy, and then you can just put it together, and you kind of see it. And so, in a sense, it gives his title, it gives his name, it gives his nationality, and in a sense, it gives his God. Because just by name, he says he's a worshiper of God. Now, I'll make this point here in a moment, but does God have other believers who are not like us? Yeah, did he have other believers who are not in the nation of Israel? Well, yes, absolutely, Okay. And so, uh, and so uh, that helps us to understand 
distinctions and commands and, 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 and uh, requirements that God might have for Israel or even for us uh, that don't apply to other people, okay? So anyhow, that's who, that's who he is. From now on, I'll just call him, uh, let's call him, uh, you know, Jethro's Israel, but his real name's Ruel, so I'm going to call him Ruel, okay? So his name's Ruel, all right? And so what was he? Well, he was a counselor, first off. Go back to our text. Uh, and so for Moses, he was a counselor. And uh, in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. You guys ever heard that? And so, if you will, what is a counselor? Somebody is, a counselor is somebody who gives you advice, and hopefully it's somebody that you take advice from, somebody that you trust, somebody with authority, okay, somebody with understanding and knowledge. And so, if you will, Moses, by the way, is it appropriate, by and large, for us to respect our elders? Why? Well, for one reason, they know more. Okay, and they should be respected. Um, uh, I don't know about you. I don't. I don't really think this generation's being taught to respect their elders. Okay, um, and, and and so it's uh, you know every once in a while you kind of got to step in and, and say that. But having said that, if the young people don't teach the young people to respect their elders, the elders aren't going to teach them that. Uh, you guys understand? It's and so it's 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 young people and young people's job to teach their children to respect elders, okay? But anyhow, they had that type of relationship. You see that he honored his father-in-law, he respected his father-in-law, he, uh, uh, and he took advice from his father-in-law. And so one way that he was a counselor, he was a marriage counselor. I gotta ask you this question, did Moses and his wife have a good marriage? By and large, no, <laughs> okay? Now I would say this, he had a much better relationship with his father-in-law than he did with his wife, okay, in the sense that they got along better, okay? You remember, what, what was the big issue? You guys remember the big issue? That kind of, you could tell they didn't really see things eye to eye. Yeah, when he went to circumcise his sons because he had been negligent. Remember, he gets ready to go to Egypt after God tells him, go to Egypt. And he says, yes, yes, Lord, I'll go to Egypt. And as soon as he takes his first step, he says, I'm going to kill you. Uh, and just, what? He said, you didn't circumcise your sons. Oh, so he went and he circumcised his sons, if you will. And, uh, and boy, I tell you what, didn't make the wife happy. Zipper was none too happy. You're a bloody husband to me, okay? And I'm just telling you, they, they had marriage issues. Matter of fact, we learned from this text here that he sent her home. Okay, he said, go, go stay with your dad, all right? And that's where they were. And, and so if you think about it, you know, they, they could have just been nomadic and got it and moved and been over, but it wasn't like that. He, he, he was there, and, and as soon as Moses came out of Egypt, he brought his wife and his two sons back to Moses, in a sense, it became an agent of reconciliation, if you will. And so, if you will, he gave Moses his daughter. Uh, he didn't meddle in their fight. Okay, he didn't take sides. Well, that's right, he is a bloody husband. He didn't do that, okay? By the way, as parents, we got to be careful about that. And I, I will tell you this. Boy, there's a, isn't, there's a fine line between what you should say and what you shouldn't say. You all understand that? If, if you are an older parent, if you have sons-in-laws, daughters-in-laws, there is a fine line, and I got to tell you, sometimes it's, it's very difficult to know when to step in and when not to step in, okay? Uh, it certainly should be handled with prayer, and I would say this, that I believe he handled it the right way. And why was he able to do this counseling? Well, he was a priest. How many of y'all think he had done this before? 
He had probably done marriage counseling before. He, had, he, he was the priest for the family. He was the spiritual leader for the family. And so, if you will, he had he'd probably done this before. Now, the thing about this is significant, though, that he's not in the Abrahamic covenant. Now, if you're not familiar, in, a, in a, uh, Genesis chapter 17, God comes to uh, Abraham one day and he says this. He says, all this land that you see, I will give unto you. Okay? And then he says this, by the way, unconditional covenant. He didn't say if, okay? But he said this. He says, if you want to be a part of this covenant, I'm going to give you the land, okay? But if you want to be a part of this covenant, you've got to be circumcised. That's the sign between us that you're a part of this covenant. So Abraham was circumcised. Uh, 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 Isaac and Ishmael were all circumcised on the same day. And then after that, if you wanted to be a part of the Abrahamic covenant, you would be circumcised. It's not for salvation. Can baptism save you? Well, what does it do? It makes you part of the church. Okay? And so if, you, if you're a believer, praise the Lord, you're going to heaven. But if you want to be a part of the church, you get baptized, you identify yourself with Jesus Christ. Okay? And so in a similar way, it was like that with circumcision. If you want to be a part of the Abrahamic covenant, then circumcise your sons. Okay? And so, uh, if you will... That was a part. Now, listen, he wasn't raised that way. How do I know that? Well, it was foreign to Zipporah. She didn't, she didn't understand anything about it. It was circumcision. What, what are we doing? You're a bloody husband to me. And yet, if you will, that, that tells you that wasn't who he was. All right? In a sense, he's an outsider. I think there's something to be learned from this. Okay? Something good to be learned from this. Um, um, because, uh, uh, if you will... Well, we'll see this here in a second. What he did is he, rec- he, 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 um, excuse me, he facilitated the reconciliation. He got them back together. He did that, okay? No doubt encouraging her to submit to him, okay? Now, think about this. Is that one of the things that's necessary for a good home? Well, I got to tell you, that's one of the hardest things to preach on because everybody is... thinking that submit means you can force somebody to be under their hand of somebody who mistreats them, okay? Now, having said that, we're supposed to submit to Jesus Christ, are we not? And the Bible says why was because he loves us. He loves us, okay? And so submission is not being okay with, well, he beats me. Well, no, that's not okay, Okay? That's not okay. And, uh, and he mistreats me. Well, that's not okay either. Uh, having said that, anybody given any authority in life is going to have accountability in life. Boy, it's fun being in charge. But let me just tell you something. Not if you realize that you are going to have to give an account. I, I, every once in a while I see somebody mistreat a woman, and, and it's because they're stronger. I, I can't, or nobody's going to tell me. Okay, fine, but you're going to stand before God someday. Y'all believe that? I got to tell you, there's times that that's the only thing that gets me through. It's because I'm like, there's precious little I can do about it, but they're going to stand before God someday. And I, listen, I, I don't know about you, but we ought to tremble at that prospect. We ought to tremble at that prospect. Amen. So if you will, he, he no doubt encouraged his daughter to submit. Uh, having said that, I'm not sure she did. <laughs> okay. Why? Because after this, you never hear about her ever again, okay? It's very possible that she died, all right? 
And the Bible talks about, you know, the Bible talks about uh, when we take the Lord's Supper, the Bible says make sure that you, you confess your sins. Why? Well, because some who don't sleep. <laughs> I'm not trying to get into this too much, but let me just say this. If you refuse to do right and you're in the way of God and his plans, God can take you out. And I'm not trying to say that to be clever. I'm just trying to say if you will not submit, if you will not do right, if you're going to hinder the, the work of God, God will take you away. And I will tell you, I've seen some Christians that I felt died too young. And, 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 it, and, and, you, and you're just like, you don't ever want to say, well, God took them out. No, because you don't know. But I know this, God has a purpose, God has a plan, and he's going to accomplish his purpose and his plan. And so, would she have been better off to have submitted? Absolutely. How many of y'all think it might have been a hard life to be Moses' wife? <laughs> it, it might have been a very hard life. Let me just tell you, he held the job for the first time in human history. <laughs> it was a big job. All right, so if you will, it, it might have been a very difficult thing. But you really don't hear anything more about her. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that he got another wife. And go back to Numbers chapter 12 real quick. Numbers chapter 12. <coughs> Trivia question, real quick. What nationality was Moses' wife? Say that again. Midianite. She was a Midianite. Midianite, by the way, is a descendant, I believe, of Abraham through one of his sons. Okay? So, in a sense, they were Semites and they did have opportunity to know God. Okay? But they were not of Israel. Okay? They were not of Israel. Okay? And so she was a Midianite. Okay? Well, now read chapter 14, verse 1. Okay? Numbers chapter 14, verse 1. No, oh, did I say the wrong? I'm sorry. I'm sorry. 12, 12 verse 1. Uh, the Bible says, And Miriam and Aram spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. This is a different wife, guys. It's a different wife. For he had married an Ethiopian woman. Okay? You say, well, he's a, he's a polygamist. That's not necessarily true. That's not necessarily true. You never hear of Zipper ever again, okay? And he did marry this Ethiopian woman, okay? And, and so, if you will, uh, we see here that that marriage was a difficult thing. And so, uh, Ruel did become a marriage counselor. And uh, now, compare this. By the way, he had a wonderful relationship with his father-in-law. Now, just mentally, compare his relationship to, uh, to Jacob and Laban, Okay, two deceivers fighting each other all the time, and and uh, you guys are familiar. I, I I got the verse here. I I, I always use that Mizpah ex example. You guys remember the old Mizpah necklaces and everything like that. Well, in Genesis thirty-one and forty-nine, uh, the Bible says, "And Mizpah, may the Lord watch between me and thee while we're apart from one another." And and you think, oh, what a wonderful thing! God's going to watch over us. No, it's saying, if you cross this rock, I'm going to get you. Okay, <laughs> and they had a very adversarial, okay, meaning this, you can have in-laws or outlaws. You guys got me? 
You can have in-laws or outlaws. I would just tell you this, it's much better to have in-laws, all right? Good relationship, a good working relationship. And so, uh, why? Because they can become good counselors to you. Uh, I, think, uh, I think it's important to try to cultivate it this way and this way, okay? With your in-laws and as an in-law, okay? And, and so, if you will, he was a counselor. Second thing that we see, he was a convert. At what time he converted, I don't know. Uh, but verses 8 through 12, we saw that he made that sacrifice unto the Lord because of how great a God he was. And I don't know if that was his confession of faith at the time or if he was already a believer and just came to understand who God was more. It's, it's kind of unclear there. I know this. He seems to have a, save, a, a, a testimony of salvation, okay? And so we know that because of his confession, okay? And uh, here's what I want you to think about. He became a believer Let's, let's just assume he became a believer in our text here, okay? Was he required to be circumcised? Bible doesn't say anything about it, okay? Now, folks, I think that's an important thing for us to think about for a second here, okay? Because he was not a Jew. That's why he was not asked to be circumcised. You're not part of the covenant relationship, okay? And let me just tell you the end of the story before we get there. He and his family eventually followed the children of Israel into the promised land. But they never became Israelites. They were always a distinct people, okay? They never became part of the covenant relationship. Again, what, what is required for that? Circumcision. He was never circumcised. They never took on circumcision. Well, what's, that the, implica what's the implication for that for us today, okay? He was a saved man, but he wasn't a proselyte, okay? You guys ever heard the term proselyte? What's a proselyte? Yeah, in the sense of not converted to faith, but converted to Judaism, or whatever you want to call following Moses and the law, okay? And so, if you will, um, uh, Jesus, remember he says, he says you'll, you'll, you'll walk forever, I'm paraphrasing here, to make one proselyte, but when you do, you make him a twofold more a child of the devil than he was before, meaning that you get them all legaled up and you don't really get them saved, okay? And then they're, more, they're worse off than they were before they started. Well, a proselyte was somebody that not only came to believe in, the God, in God. By the way, how many gods are there? One God. So that means even in India, that's the God you got to believe in to be saved. Even in China, that's the God you got to believe in to be saved. Even in South Africa, that's, come on, you all, you all with me? And so it's important for us to understand this. And I'll be honest with you, I think sometimes, and I, I think people's motives are good and right, but sometimes people take a doctrine and push it too far and, and make limitations on God that God doesn't put limitations on himself, okay? Meaning this, how many of you all believe you've got to be a Christian to be saved? i got one amen. <laughs> you guys think I'm setting you up. I'm not setting you up. But there's one name under heaven among men whereby we must be saved. And so in a sense, if you believe in Christ, you're a Christian. Okay? And having said that, how many different kinds of churches are there? By the way, how many of y'all are here in an independent Baptist church by conviction? Oh, man, I, I wish all the hands were just... Man, I, I'm here because of what I believe. Amen? Okay? But how many also know... There's other people that don't believe like us. I'm going to let you in a little secret. There's other independent Baptists out there that don't believe like us. 
<laughs> Let you know a little secret here, okay? Well, I, I want to ask a question, and I'm serious about this question. It's good for us to think about it. Can a person practice different and still be a child of God? How many of y'all have ever seen a preacher get up and say, so-and-so does this, so I'm not even sure he's saved? It happens. And I would say this, I think we ought to be careful about that. Now, I will say this, if you're also not following the way the Bible says, you probably ought to be careful about that. Okay? But my whole point is this, is, you realize there's no accidents in our Bible? And God covers everything. I saw somebody the other day mocking that the Bible covers every scenario that needs to be addressed in human life. And it, it was Baptists. And it disturbed me, to be quite honest with you. Because let me let you in a little secret. This Bible covers everything we need. Everything. Okay? Now, that might be hard to find sometimes. You might not be able to just turn to the text. But you read this Bible long enough, you're going to find out it covers everything you need. Including, how should I treat somebody that believes, says they believe in the same God, but they don't go to the same church? Okay? Now, I'm going to show you the difference here because this is significant. It's important. Go to Matthew chapter 9. I'll show you the example. Matthew chapter 9, verse 38. And the apostles came to Jesus with a problem. They were, they were, you know, distraught. They are disturbed, if you will. Well, I might have a problem here. Uh, let me make sure I got the right book here. Yeah, I'm sorry, it's Mark. I typed that wrong. It's Mark chapter 9, verse 38. Mark chapter 9, verse 38. The Bible says, And John answered him, saying, Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followed not us. And we forbade him because he followeth not us. Right? Is Jesus dealing with the issue? What is it noticed by his followers? Absolutely. And by the way, were they disturbed about it? And rightly so. They didn't know. Okay? Uh, and, and so uh, I'm glad that God puts this in our Bible. How often do we read over stuff like this and we don't even think about it, and yet God's saying, you're going to come against this issue eventually. Let me put something in there to give you direction. And I've also heard this, and I'll be honest with you, I, I get a little bit disturbed about this, is they, the people say, well, you can't give me a verse. I can give you a principle. Well, principles aren't verses. Oh, you, you better be very careful about that. Because, number one, God knows that legalism eventually descends into bad things. Okay? Now, having said that, listen, do I believe verses are important? Yeah, don't, don't take it from what I'm saying. But some people are saying, well, you can't follow principles either because that's just your imagination. No, excuse me. Jesus has given us a principle here. He's not given us a commandment. Okay? Why? Well, because... I've I got to stop and just ask. How many of y'all know the distinction I'm trying to make here? You guys understand? Really, it, uh, it was two weeks ago... It, principles were under attack and and, and I, I, I only I only I'll tell you this I'm only on Facebook so you can get a hold of me okay 
Honestly, I'm on Facebook so you can get a hold of me. But you can't help what comes up on your posts. So, you know, I read it and I have Baptist friends. <laughs> okay? And you'll see them arguing about, you can't follow principles. You're like, what are you talking about? And what they were arguing about was something I guess I hold dear. They were arguing about the principle of first mention is not a law. Or the law of first mention is, is, is not a law. Show me a verse. And I'm like, okay. But I can't tell you how many times in the Bible it, it is absolutely apt. <laughs> it applies. Okay, and, and here's, here's the, the thing that immediately went through my mind. Tell me what death is. Thank you. Like a life? <laughs> it's when you die. By the way, that's called a tautology. That's when something defines itself. You can't use something to define itself. Okay? What is a mark? A mark is this. <laughs> okay. All right? I, I'm not trying to be clever. I'm trying to teach principle here. Okay? Um, what is death? It's lack of life. Okay. Oh, now where'd you learn that? Are you sure? Do you have a verse? Well, I'm glad she did this so I can pick on her. You love me, right? <laughs> can I just tell you this? She has no verse for that. She only has a principle. And I will tell you this, that where she learned it from me or from somebody else, the only way we know what death is is because God says the day that you eat of it, you surely die. How many of you all believe they surely died as soon as they ate of it? And the only thing that changed was their relation between them and God. And God said, you can't be with me anymore. Did they die that day? Yeah, it's because they were spiritually separated from God. When do we die? Later, when our soul is separated from our flesh. And our soul is separated from our body. Death. And none of that is given to you with a verse. It's given to you with a principle. Okay? Now, by the way, I'll have these discussions with you. I'm not getting on Facebook to have those arguments. I will, listen, I will call a preacher. I've, I've seen a couple and I said, guys... Please stop doing that on Facebook. <laughs> okay. I'll call them. Say, please stop doing that. If you want to have that debate, do it in private. That's, that's not a good thing to take into fight in public like that. So anyhow, please forgive me for a, a hobby horse there. Um, Jesus knew of other followers. Notice what he said in verse 39. The Bible says this. It says, uh, it says, but Jesus said, forbid him not, for there is no man which shall do a miracle in my name that can lightly speak evil of me. We don't know if they had the same baptism. We don't really know what they believe other than the fact that they're doing miracles in Jesus' name. Amen? And Jesus says, forbid him not. He says, for he that is not against us is on our part. So what is his measure? He says this, look, if they're not against you, leave them alone. Okay? Can I tell you this, that by and large, I disagree with much that charismatics do. Much. But can I say this, as long as they're not fighting me, I'm not going to fight them. Why? 
Listen, how many of y'all know a charismatic person? They might do some things you disagree with, but they love the Lord. They, they'll tell you they're saved, they're, they're, they're spreading the gospel. And you know what he's saying? They're not against you, leave them alone. Now, if they want to fight, defend yourself. Okay? But if they're not fighting with you, don't fight with them. Now, who should we fight with? The Bible does say, earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered unto the saints. Well, I believe he gives us an answer for that, too. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, please. 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Second Corinthians chapter 11, look at verse 4. The Bible says, For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom ye have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit which ye have not received, or another gospel which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with them. And you have to kind of read into that, but he's saying you can fight with those people. Okay? He's saying this. He's saying, listen, if they're preaching another gospel, another Christ, you earnestly contend for the faith. Okay? Why? Well, because then they're misleading. Were those people doing miracles misleading? Nope. They just weren't part of their crowd. Okay? Now, did they become part of the crowd eventually? I don't know. God doesn't tell us that. And he doesn't tell us that on purpose. Okay? So here's my whole point. A lot of times, it's real easy to, to criticize the church down the street. And I will tell you this. There's a lot of churches out there with a lot of things I disagree with. But if you're not fighting me, I'm not fighting you. Having said that, if you cross the line on the gospel, meaning what? If you say a church can save you, that's a different gospel. If you're saying catechism can save you, that's a different gospel. Amen. Okay? Uh, listen, I'll earnestly contend over that. All right? But just because we're a little bit different, well, okay. I'm not, I'm not going to argue with you or fight with you on that. Okay? And so I, I believe the Lord's the one that gives us that. Okay? The Bible tells us clearly what the gospel is in, in, in Acts chapter 4 and verse 12. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Okay? And so, if you will. And so, uh, last of all, just real quick, we see that he was a counselor, we see that he was a convert, and then he was a confidant and coach. And um, I really, uh, boy. I'd really like to spend more time on this. Let me hit it, and if I get back to it, maybe I'll address it as a full message some other time. Here's what he said, and, and you can read it for yourself in verses 13 through 26. He said, Moses, you take too much on yourself. You take too much on yourself, meaning what? You can't do it all. Now, let me give you a revelation. And by the way, I have to learn this revelation. I have been learning this revelation. Honestly, this last year has been very good for me to learn this revelation. Okay? But you can't do everything yourself. Anybody want to be honest enough to say that you've tried? Thank you. How'd that work out for you? You end up worn out, frustrated, ready to quit. Come on now. Okay? And fortunately, he had somebody that caught it early, and he said, Moses, you keep doing this, you, you're just not going to make it. Okay? And so what he did is, he says, you need to take and assign people, and if able people, and let them do the job. All right? Now, i got to ask a question here. This is very important, Brother Gary. Will you help me? Will you? 
does the toilet paper go from the top of the roll? <laughs> this is very... Uh, from the outside. From the outside. Now, I didn't mean to start a war here. <laughs> any, any from underneath. See all the ladies' hands go up? Drives me nuts, but some ladies like it to go from the underside because it looks neater. Pray for them. That's not the reason? What's the reason? You have no reason. I'm sorry, just joking. <laughs> well, amen. All right. If. I don't want to spend all day changing toilet paper, but it needs to be done. And if I ask somebody, and by the way, my daughter does this. She's an under. Would you all... Pr- uh, it still ends up under too often. <laughs> Please take this the right way. When you let them help you, You've got to let them help you. Anybody have trouble with that? Because I want the toilet paper to go over the top. (laughs) That was a good illustration, Gary. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, they're going to fight about that forever, brother. Here's the thing, and I'll I'll drop it and I'll be done. You've got to let them do it their way. And you've got to be okay with it. We just heard a message, and I'll highly recommend it to you, and you can look it up on the Internet. But um, Brother Tom Gibson, some of you may or may not, his father has actually preached here. Brother Tom Gibson preached a message called Giving Back the Spear. If you'd like to look it up, I'm sure you can find it, okay? But he preached this, that a lot of times we'll let somebody help until they fail, and then we take the spear. Remember with David and, and uh, with Saul? And he took Saul's spear, and then he gave it back. By the way, doesn't that sound kind of stupid? Yeah. Just as stupid as we think it is, well, I'm just going to change the toilet paper from now on because I want it off the top. You got it? Here's the spear. Go ahead and do it underneath. I don't care. Yeah. (laughs) But folks, I'm just telling you, all of us need to learn how to turn things over to somebody else. Amen. Moses, you can't do everything that that way. Well, they won't do it the way I want. Doesn't cover this here, but he could have said, I appreciate that, but you're going to kill yourself by trying. And folks, we've got to learn how to give that spear back. We've got to learn how to let people help us. We've got to learn how to have people do things the way we don't want it done. Amen. By the way, Mindy and I fight about two things. Just open confession here. You ready? My driving, pray for me, amen. And 
she does everything wrong. <laughs> and I do everything wrong in her eyes because she's a task-minded person. And I'm the type of person, I keep five balls in the air, it's just normal and natural for me. She can't think that way, and I can't, and we try to help each other, and we spend the whole time going, no, I got it, no, I got it, no, I got it. <laughs> Quite often it's true. Okay. And it's all because at some point, and I'm learning this, even in the church here, and I appreciate all the men who've stepped up in the last year or so. I really do. I can't tell you how much. But I got to tell you, sometimes it's hard to give that spirit to somebody else. Why? Because you're protecting yourself. <laughs> okay? And in a sense, here's what his father-in-law did. He said, you, you, you got to let go. Let him help you. And here's what he said. He said, give yourself over to the job you've been given. What? You're a prophet. Pray and preach. By the way, I'll say this. What's a preacher's job? You remember when they selected the deacons? They said, we'll give ourselves to study and to prayer. You serve tables. By the way, you're not serving them right. No, they didn't do that. Okay? So I say this humbly. I have to learn that lesson. We all have to learn that lesson. Amen. And is it a hard thing to do? Absolutely. But you might be amazed how liberating, how enabling, and how encouraging it is. You just got to have the courage to let it go. Okay? And we're all going to have some missteps. But let's learn how important the principle is. I'll encourage you to go back and read that for yourself. And we're done. <laughs>